Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. Once again, I am not Michael Curzon, I'm SD Wicket. Um, Michael is once again away this week. What's happened to Michael? Michael's uh, Michael's, Michael's lacking recently. Anyway, um, I'm joined by old reliable Luke Perry. Luke, how's the weather? Thank you. I am glad you asked, Sam, because the weather is um, very sunny. I, ho- I hope so in early July. We're looking very angelic on our Zoom call. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, I got that, uh, that, that golden ratio going on there. Um, and we're joined once again, and uh, much to the chagrin of some of our more vocal listeners. Um, status Peter, how are you, sir? I'm, uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. That's it, uh, Peter. We'll uh, we'll we'll start with you. You've been looking at the um, the Batley and Spen by election, which the results. I I didn't uh, stay up late enough to see the results, but saw it this morning. Very very slim Labour victory. So, Peter, what's happened in Batley and Spen? So, uh, as you as you said, Labour have very narrowly managed to cling on uh, to the constituency with a majority of about three hundred, just about just over three hundred votes. Um, about one percent um i so um yeah the results were now everyone can look at them um i think there are there are two things uh that i would uh say at this kind of early stage i suppose um uh, number one uh this is a very impressive result for labor in my opinion and number two this is a result that labor shouldn't get very excited about um now on the on, on on the first point this is a marginal constituency where at the last general election, the labor majority was about half of the vote which went to a, a, a right-wing candidate who was not standing in this by-election, therefore giving the Tories, just based off that, a very easy path to victory, or you know, a very clear path to victory. Um, at the same time, you had a very prominent spoiler candidate who was destined and indeed did take a very substantial chunk out of the 2019 Labour vote. What so, was um, sorry? What, what was Labour's swing? Do you know? And in in this by election? Yeah. Well, it was a very slight swing from Labour to the Conservatives. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, the point is based of based of these two factors. This was it did not look. Uh, good for labor. Um, and indeed, all the Tories had to do is just slightly increase their vote share, and they, they probably would have sc- scraped it. Mm. Um, they didn't. Their vote share, labor vote share fell by about seven points, but the Tory vote share also fell by about a point and a half. Um, therefore, you know, ensuring that the result we have. Um, so no, I, I think I think labor, um, I think it, it is an impressive result given the circumstances. Um, and I think a, a lot of the Credit, I guess, there goes to Labour candidate who, by all accounts, ran a very good local campaign. Um, as mired as it was in a lot of nastiness, um, especially you know, especially towards towards Labour campaigners and Labour and herself, the Labour candidate. And you know, uh, on on the on polling day itself, it seems that Labour had a very effective get out the vote operation, unlike uh, their two uh, prom- prominent opponents. Um, now, on, on, on to the second point. You know, again, while this is an impressive result, uh, you know, the party shouldn't celebrate it too much because at the end of the day, this is a by-election. And for the opposition party to not lose a seat to the government is effectively the baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. 
Do you, do you think then, because um, it's a slight tangent, but there's a lot of talk about um, Keir Starmer's future if Labour were to lose this election. There was talk about um, a contest from Angela Rayner, from uh, Don Butler, who also... Um... Was there there was, yeah, there were some uh, murmurings about. Yeah, that, so something yeah. like that. So, I mean, you know, obviously, Keir Starmer's position is still not entirely shored up. Labour is still behind in general polling. But um, do you think this will ease some of the pressure on Starmer? Well, he's clearly bought himself time. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I, I don't think that if Labour were to lose this by-election, that Starmer would have been in any immediate danger. I mean, certainly, the Labour, the Labour Party as a whole was really anticipating to lose this uh until basically yesterday mm. um and uh that, you know so it wouldn't have been a massive shock and and I, I don't think that there would have been any serious or really at all leadership challenge to starmer at least for a while after this result um partly because um i think the uh, the left of the party knows that they are unlikely to win a leadership election and if anything it would give uh, starmer's leadership a uh, you know, a, a breath of life. Um, you know, I think it's occasionally said that the best thing that happened to Corbyn during his leadership of the Labour Party was, perhaps aside from the general election results of 2017, but the, the best thing that happened to Corbyn internally was uh, the leadership challenge, the, you know, the coup and the leadership challenge from Owen Smith in 2016. Um, so, so, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think that even if Labour were to lose it, that storm would have been under immediate threat. But, you know, winning the by-election um, you know, certainly gives them kind of more, more stability, I suppose, going forward, especially towards Labour conference later in a, you know, in a couple of months. We've talked about, um, we talked about the Cheshire Amersham by-election a few, a few weeks ago when the factors which would go into a local, uh, into a by-election, such as a focus on, on a localised issues. So if Batley and Spen was to arise in a general election where um, the focus is on the entire nation rather than just an individual constituency. And would do you, Peter, would you think Labour would do as well as they have done in this by-election, which should still ring alarm bells for Labour. They've only won it yeah. just where I they think, should be winning this seat comfortably. Well, I mean, none of us can predict what the circumstances would be of a general election, you know, whenever that happens. But I mean, just based off this result, I think if there would be a general election in the next couple of years, that Labour would be expected to do better than they did at this by-election. Mm. Um, again, just because of kind of, and obviously we don't know and, unless someone produces some good individual level data, which there won't be in most likelihood on who exactly voted for who in, uh, in this by-election. But uh, it, it's apparent that just based, based on the, the, you know, the basic like numbers that we have of the results, um, that what happened here is that while George Galloway managed to take a very substantial chunk out of the Labour vote, um, the, the, the reason Labour managed to scrape by is they actually uh, managed to get quite a lot of conservative to labor con conversions from 2019, uh, likely in the more middle-class areas of uh, Batley and Spen. Um, so it, it, it goes to reason that if they're, you know, in a general election setting where George Galloway probably wouldn't be standing again, um, that, you know, labor would have had a, labor would have a, a better, better chance. Um, you know, I, I think it's, Again, this is something again worth mentioning. Um, you know, if George Galloway probably wouldn't have stood at this by-election, I think it's 
reasonable to assume that the labor majority would have been quite a lot higher than 300. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. So there, there, are, there are three other factors to sort of go into here and talk about, you know, whether or not they, they, they played a role in this result. And um, the the first being um, the the Tory candidate who I, I don't know who it is. I still don't know who it is. Um, the Labour candidate being the uh, is it sister-in-law or sister of um, Joe Cox, who sister, had, yeah. had, had had the seat until she was um, murdered in 2016. Yeah. Um, the presence of Galloway as well, um, as well as um, what I think was a, was a very low turnout, wasn't it, in Ballinspan? It wasn't. I mean, it's funny because like every, every time there is a by-election, um, everyone, fr- and because the, the, the turnout is usually announced, you know, before the results are. Um, and whenever the turnout is announced for by-elections, everyone freaks out and says, oh my God, this is so low, this is so bad. Uh, people, people have to remember that, like turnout in by-elections is always a lot lower than it is in general elections. Um, so the, the, I think the, the general election turnout on Batley and Spen was 65%, and the turnout of this by-election was, I think, 47%, which is perfectly normal for a by-election. So like there's, there's nothing exceptional uh, in the turnout here at all. If anything, it's slightly higher than perhaps what we would have expected. Okay. Okay, so, so okay, so that's the other way then. So let's um let's talk about Galloway. Galloway's role in the election. So Galloway mm-hmm. had a very um very sort of viral, very vocal campaign. He appealed to a particular demographic in the area. Um, what was Galloway's overall impact on this by election? I think Galloway's impact is was you know I guess twofold. One, you know, making things a lot harder for Labour than they probably otherwise would have been. Um, and, um, and two, you know, ensuring that this you know, turned into an incredibly nasty uh, campaign, especially for the labor side. I mean, we've had everything from horrible abuse on the campaign trail to Kim Ledbitter, the labor candidate, uh, including, uh, including homophobic abuse directed directly towards her. Um, we had, you know, labor campaigners being harassed, uh, being egged in one case, in one case. Um, and, uh, you know, th- like, th- this is just the kind of nastiness that really follows George Galloway whenever he decides to stand in a parliamentary election. I mean, we saw the same stuff in Bradford West. We saw the same stuff in, uh, mm. um, in Bethnal Green and Bow. Um, also, even, even beyond that, we saw um, the campaigns for the 2019 Euros got quite ugly, too. There were similar events with um, egging and milkshaking and that sort of thing as well. In Batley? Uh, well, just in general. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, but all I mean in in, in Batley was it was very clearly, you know, whether whether the uh, the Galloway campaign endorsed that or not. I mean, you know, we we have no direct evidence, so we couldn't make any allegations. Um, um, but, but you know, very clearly coming from supporters of of his campaign, um, and clearly, I don't think his campaign did enough to to dissuade those kind of aggressive tactics. Um, and I'd like to touch on, on another issue to do with this constituency, which was swept under the rug by the major parties, and that was the, the Batley Grammar School teacher. Hmm. Yeah, which is probably, if by-elections are focused on local issues, this should have been the, the local issue to top them all, what, what should be done. But um, both Labour and the Labour candidate and the Conservative candidates sort of d- did their best to distance themselves and I just wondered what, I mean, if, if the, the Tories had come out in support of the teacher, I wonder whether that they would have won. But it just seems like such a major issue. I mean, this was nationwide news for about a week. 
but in a in an election to elect MPs to write write and amend laws, it's it, it, it was just non-existent, which was oh. very horrifying. Galloway was was never going to touch it, was he? No. I mean, that that should have been the purview of the the, the Tory candidate, who again just <clears throat> just almost in, the Invisible Man during that campaign. Or woman, I've no I've no idea who it was. Ryan Stevenson, he's a man. Okay, okay. thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, I, I only know that because I double checked on Wikipedia a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, um, look, I mean, on the on the Batley Grammar School thing, I mean, I, I agree. It's it's very unfortunate. I said this on Ju- Julian's podcast. I think it's very unfortunate that both major parties completely ignored the issue. Um, um, whether it was wise to ignore it electorally, you know, you know that can be that can be debated. Um, I, I don't agree that it was the, the major local issue in the campaign. I think certainly by judging by, you know, from what we know happened on the campaign trail, I don't think that was the big motivating factor or even close. Um, but no, I, I, I mean, I, I agree in the sense that, yeah, I, I you know, it's, I, I think, I th- you know, it would have been nice for both major parties to, you know, take a clear stand, um, take a clear stand on that. But, you know, it, effectively, and them failing to do that allowed uh, a motley of extremist far-right candidates to sweep into the constituency and try to capitalize on that. Fortunately, all of them failed miserably. I, I believe Jada, Jada Franson, who is now, I think she's like, from the, I, I think she's now Left Britain First, found like the, the British Freedom Party, uh, and she, she, got, she got 50 votes. Um, yeah. You know, Anne Marie Waters got ninety votes. Um, yeah. yeah so, so, so I mean, for, fortunately, you know, the extreme far right candidates who uh, who jumped in on it didn't get anything out of it at all. So yeah. Also, yeah. Thank, thank God, because these are. I mean, uh, aside from the obvious, these are you know remarkably low caliber, just shrieking banshees, and you know, writers like Luke and myself don't yeah. think. I mean, and and if you look at their literature, I mean, just outright racists. Um, you know, we, we don't have to beat around the bush on on that. On that, there's there's nothing of any substance to it. And, um, so yeah, uh, so Batley and Spen, extremely marginal victory for the Labour Party. Um, so uh, ultimately, the political makeup of the of the country hasn't changed that much. We just had a you know uh, quite interesting um, sort of carnival uh, campaign in in the seat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly everyone, I think everyone's glad that it's over, except George Galloway, because, you know, now he has to retreat to, uh, to, whatever, he, to whatever he was doing before and Alliance. not get anywhere near the same media attention. He's trying to actually contest the results right now in court. Which yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was, was going to say. He's, um, yeah, he said he's going to uh, pursue the, the, the vote through, court, through the courts. And, uh, I think which the is, last, which the is last... funny because he came a distant third. Um, mm. So mm. He's, he's, de- he's demanding some kind of recount, which effectively uh you know if the result were to be overturned somehow uh it wouldn't be in his favor and be in favor of the tory candidate so it, it's it's very you know funny seeing uh such a committed leftist uh, openly effectively trying to uh uh hand this uh, election to the conservatives through the courts having failed to do so at the ballot box mm-hmm. uh, but again george galloway has never been a massive fan of democracy so Mm-hmm. Yes, he'll uh, he'll go, he'll go back to one of his many 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 talk shows, which he has a lot of. If you look at his uh, Twitter, he has like three or four talk shows. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Russia Today will will have him. Uh, <laughs> right, sure, 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 sure. Uh, okay, well, um, 
we'll uh, leave Batley and Spen there and uh, I'm sure you and Julian will go into it in far more depth in the next issue of the political tipster should be out next week uh we'll move along now to my story for the week which is a uh, a brand new oh, an old an old new face in the health department in um sajid javid who has taken over from the uh disgraced and deposed matt hancock um so i'll, I'll go with you luke because uh, you you and i often bond on this show of a railing against uh lockdown there's there seems to be a a, a real tone change in the attitude towards uh, the persistence of lockdown measures. Um, so, Luke, how do you feel about this new secretary? Do you think it's just it's just hot smoke, or do you think there's um, actually cause for some optimism here? Yeah, it's a sort of smoke and mirrors, really. He um, he arrived saying, "Oh, he he will not join in with the nanny state." But the the minute he got a whiff of power, he says, "Okay, nineteenth of July may not be happening. 9th of July may not be happening, etc." So. Um, and also to, to get into court, to get into not Corbyn's, uh, to get into Johnson's cabinet on, on lockdowns, you, ha you have to fall in line. There's yeah. uh, the, the only resistance is um, is, is minimal. It's it's not should lockdowns happen. It's or how long should they continue for, mm. which can be span out into eternity. Mm. So uh, I I won't be impressed by um, Sajid Javid, it, it, Matt Hancock without the affairs, or that'll be yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yes, that that's what I've been thinking about since um since Hancock resigned and Javid was brought in where we're about to basically we're about to find out if if Hancock was just a monster or or if um he just became a reflection of the job. I think ha Hancock's one of many. Mm -hmm. a... I mean, if Johnson didn't bring in anyone that was a serious Tory lockdown skeptic. You never heard Sajid Javid in the same breath as those who voted against lockdown measures. Mm, mm, mm. Peter, would you like to uh, annoy the listeners? I mean, I don't have much. Um, I don't have much uh, thoughts necessarily on Sajid Javid as health secretary. I have some thoughts on Sajid Javid, and none of them are very favourable to him. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, it certainly seems to be that every conservative uh, health secretary is worse than the worse than the previous guy. Um, I mean, as for will there be a major change in uh, in policy uh, under Javid? I I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, I I think they'll mainly stick to what they've been currently going through. Is, I mean, especially given you know, assuming that they that this time they stick to their unlocking timetable, there shouldn't really be that many decisions for mm. Javid to really make. I think I think what what this represents is is a, is a chance for the government to make a tonal change. I mean, you know, the story because very often what happens with the government's approach to the virus is it leaks into the press and then it slowly matriculates and then it becomes policy, right? So the stories I'm seeing in the press at the moment are that from from July 19th, masks masks are going to be no longer legally required. Um, I've seen a story today that uh, the Premier League is going to be allowed to um, fully pack stadiums from August. Um, nightclubs and strip clubs are going to be open. They're going to, you know, uh, remove all mandatory distancing measures. Um, I think, in a way, it seems like you know them flushing out Hancock because I, I I think he was pushed rather than resigned on his own accord. Um, I think it's just given I think it's just given the government a convenient opportunity to uh, basically do a sort of a quiet U-turn on 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 the rhetoric. I mean, wasn't wasn't I mean, has there actually been a 
any serious change in in policies since since the new appointment well, it's it's more that what's been announced is that it's looking like at least by what's being leaked to the press that from july 19th life will for a brief time resemble normality more than it ever has hmm. more than it has since you know april of 2020 well let's certainly hope so i mean one one um i mean i guess i mean i again i don't actually expect much to much to change under childhood but i mean if if I, if I were to have like one uh, one wish is that they would you know perhaps under this change of management they would start treating the, the british public like adults finally and actually explain rationale behind decisions and mm. as, as opposed to just you know taking a few weeks to leak stuff to the press and mm. Tr- mm. treating everyone like children i think that that's that's the key thing for me is that it's the thing i'm seeing a lot is the government saying that we, we now need to treat this thing like the flu well hopefully after you know we we reached the necessary vaccination figures. And well, there's a debate about what necessary, you know, like what the required vaccination levels are. Um, I mean, I, I well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure like that's the assessment of just about everyone that it will come to a point at which we will be treating it just like the flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the only disagreement is, I guess, when that point is. Yeah, yeah, which is you know, which is something that you you mitigate without um, sort of blanket draconian suppression measures, which affects the healthy population. Going back to, to Sazi Jabid, and <clears throat> well, I think he was picked, he's just the safe bet. Mm. He's not that controversial. He's high up in the Tory party. Mm-hmm. And with, with Hancock, again, very vocal, or, always in the press. With Sazi Javid, he's a figure you can sort of relegate to the background. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, so I think he likes to think of himself as having, you know, libertarian credentials. I, I think he's. I think he's a fan of Ayn Rand or something like that. Yeah, he's very libertarian, except yeah. when it comes to stripping uh, people of their British citizenship with uh, without uh, w- w- without any uh, legal basis. But you know, nice. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that's not really much to do with his job as Secretary of State for Health. But you know, mm-hmm. regardless. Yeah, we'll see. I, again, again, I, I do think Javid will essentially just be an apparatchik, but his um, but you know the the new face. I think just just you know. It, it, it's a vehicle for the Tories to um, just, you know, sort of almost admit they were wrong without admitting they were wrong. Well, I don't, I don't think his appointment is necessarily much to do with them admitting they were wrong on policy, considering the policy hasn't changed. I think it's more to do with the, the you know, the obvious factor of the previous self-secretary being completely disgraced. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. I think it's it's more of a change in personnel than policy. So, mm. oftentimes, I don't think the Tories have learnt their lessons. I mean, yes, they may have promised July, whatever, but they also promised June the twenty first, and look what happened there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, on 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 that note, um, obviously, we'll, uh, we'll we'll come back to that in the future because it's gonna. It's going to become glaringly obvious what the government decides to do in a couple of weeks' time. But um, in for now, we'll we'll move along to our last main story for the week, which is you, Luke. You're looking at the uh, the high street. Yes, um, Britain's high street. Where, where do we begin? Um, so, well, what's left of it? Yes, what's I know there's not much to go on. Mm. So, um, I mean, what prompts me to? look at this story it is the fact that gap will close um 81 81 stores and leave roughly a thousand people unemployed now small small change in the grand scheme of things but this 
sort of again collapse of the high street has been continuous for a number of years now and mm, with, yeah, with I mean, online shopping and difference in consumer yeah. spending but lockdown has just sped it up yeah that's the, the thing the, is that is that e- e-commerce is swallowing the high street i mean we've seen what dorothy perkins bhs top man all go under top man's been bought out by big, asos yeah big um, retailers debenhams went john lewis is yep yep uh, i think boohoo's sort of bought one of them um but although i've noticed something interesting in the last in the last year or so which is or the last couple of years which is that it so just take my, my town for instance um uh I, I won't say which one but it's a town in essex um the the high street is basically dead on its feet. It's now just barber shops, cafes, and phone shops. Um, but I've noticed that sort of the sub high streets, the uh, you know the sort of the, the ones full of like you know, charity shops and small cafes and small boutiques, they're doing just fine. It's the it's the high street brand, the ones that have you know nationwide supply chains. They're the ones that are really just collapsing and dying. Yeah. And uh, well, roughly eleven thousand shops permanently closed. And um, when a, a big chain goes, of course, that they have many stores. They shut one; they're going to shut more. And uh, roughly twenty thousand shops are are expected to close this year. So, being halfway through the year, roughly ten thousand would have gone under already. And I, I've noticed that with um, the, the sort of street economy as well. I think that's different meaning, different parts of the world. But yes. The, the high streets and general city centres are stocked to the brim with um, food outlets. Hmm. Of course, how delivery will affect that in the future r- remains to be seen, whether they go the same as the, the, uh, their brick-and-mortar counterparts. Hmm. But yes, um, I've also noticed that if, if you want the good high street experience, you walk down the side streets, the main streets, many boarded up shops, but the, the, the side streets are where you can sort of get that traditional English feel. Yeah, no, the the high, the high street in in in, in, my, in my town, it's yeah, it's, it's it's as you describe. If you go just off of it, there's you know there's there's, there's bookshops, there's, there's a tailor shop, there's you know all these sort of brick and mortar places that are doing just just fine, really. It's um, yeah, no, it's I, I I don't really want to know what's happening there. In my town, I was disappointed when the butchers was closed, but uh, an even bigger butchers opened up on the side street, which I didn't know about for a time. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, there's a silver lining there. Mm-hmm. Peter? Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, certainly a sad state of affairs. I, 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 um, look, I mean, I think when it comes to the uh, the decline of the, the British high street, I, I, personally, I think it's an interesting case study of the British public wanting to have their cake and eat it. Um, because if, I think if you ask most people, um, you know, do you want the government to save the high street? You know, everyone will say yes. And then if the if you then ask the, the public, do you want the government to impose extra taxes and make your online shopping more expensive? There'll be no. Or, or which, not even that, not even which, that. It's, like, it's like, do you want to save the high street? Yes. Do you want to use the high street? No. Well, like, yeah. Well, well, the reason they don't want to use the high street is because they can get everything on Amazon much easier and much cheaper. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is which is funny because, like, yeah, like it's I think it's a classic case of you know, on the one hand, you know, their sentimentality and you know, you know, obviously it's not very nice to walk, you know, walk through your town and see boarded up shops and see like you know everything being uh, every every high street, you know, becoming if well certainly in a lot of places becoming a mixture of, you know, um, bedding shops and, 
Carphone Warehouse and Starbucks. Um, but on the, you know, it's, it's not, it's not pleasant. You know, you want like, as you said, the traditional English high street with all nice independent shops and butchers and uh, 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 independent uh, uh, cafes, but the, uh, yes, yes, on, on cobbled streets. And, but look, look, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if, you know, if, if, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, sure what the government is supposed to really do, except, you know, um, ex yeah. ex except if, you know, again, if you really want to save the high street, uh, you know, levy extra extra taxes on online retail which most people will uh be i'd imagine uh, not very happy about or, or even that or even then it's like you know, um we, we can sort of stomp our feet and decry the decline the high street all we want but until until people start actually getting off their asses going out and buying their supplies <laughs> from local you know businesses it's it, nothing's going to happen and, and it's a it's a theme that always arises on this show which is that there is a massive difference between stated preference and revealed preference right like we see it all the time with, with lockdown with, with, with the people who are most vocally in favor of it are the ones who pack out hyde park whenever the sun whenever the sun's out right um, another word virtue signaling right sure yeah it is there is a degree of virtue signaling and people saying you know oh isn't it isn't it, isn't it horrible that the, I, I remember being a kid and you know, you go into the high street and everything was there and everyone was out and like but if you're buying off Amazon and you're, you know, you're, if you're sacrificing what is, you know, a, a vital part of the local community for the sake of, you know, free delivery, next day delivery, convenience, you know, then you haven't really got a leg to stand on here. You know, if you want to save the British High Street, then go and bloody save the British High Street by spending your money in there. Also some disincentives of um, shopping on the High Street, or such, such as car parking fees. Car parking or just... <laughs> Just you know, just that, yeah, car parking. The fact that it's not, it's, it's it's becoming a less and less pleasant experience to go into the high street. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but where where I am, the high street is not the nicest place to go. I mean, we barely have one where I where, where I live now. But right, sure, 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 sure. Um, okay, I think. Uh, oh, do do you have anything more to add on the, on the high street? Uh, I, I think we pat, patted the grave enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what was your what was your miscellaneous story, Luke? Miscellaneous uh, third jab. Oh, uh, and travel and travel restrictions, right? Yeah, for Rome. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and on that on that note, we'll move along to our miscellaneous story for this week. Um, Luke, you're looking at um some of the more fringe COVID restrictions that could be uh, lingering for the next for the foreseeable future. Uh, the one is being uh travel restrictions in, into the continent and the other being uh, so-called booster jabs. What have, you, what have you been looking at? So this is sort of two miscellaneous stories here. The, the first is to do with travel restrictions. Now, um, many people who have acquired an AstraZeneca jab made in India may be shut off from, from the continent, given that the, um, the EU may not allow these, these um, vaccinated tourists in, given that the regulators have not officially approved it. And the the, the the second travel story, which I know will um, put a second travel story, which will put a dent in any England fan heart, is um, on how to get to Rome to see the uh, the quarterfinal game against Ukraine. And um, the Italian embassy has said that um, England fans won't be allowed in, into the stadium if they've only re recently arrived in Italy. Now, of course, you got to now travel is usually planned in advance, but for sporting tournaments. That are taking place across the entire continent in the middle of a pandemic, it's a it's a hell of a lot more difficult. So um, that's um, 
Um, uh, yes, no, I, no one's going to the continent anytime soon. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure how how large the English diaspora in in Italy is, but uh, I hope I hope for our sake they uh, they uh, they they descend on the uh, Olympica Stadium in in Rome. Juicy. Shame it wasn't taking place in Madrid. Would pack out the stadium twenty <laughs> times over. And yet, so the, the second story is a of a fabled third dose. Now, uh, this is from a cover of the Daily Mail on um, Thursday, so the day before we've recorded this. And it said that government scientists have recommended that third doses be given to more than 32 million adults starting in September. Now, this is, of course, the booster jab, which are being justified to prevent yet another lockdown in the autumn and winter months. Now, um, we all knew the vaccines would go on forever. I don't know what, what your, your, your take is on this, but it wasn't going to end with one or two shots in the arm. Well, the, the, the problem I have is that, again, it's the kind of thing where I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I, I will, you know, I, I will believe it when I see it. But um, if this is brought in, then we kind of, you know, crossing a Rubicon here where, um, you know, if, if, it, if it does coincide with, you know, um, the decision to not be vaccinated or to not take the booster shot will affect your ability to move around freely, then, you know, we're, we're opening Pandora's box here and uh, I don't think anything nice is going to come out of that. But again, it's, it's the kind of thing where um, I, I really can't tell if the government's rhetoric around this is legitimate or if it's just a tactic to ensure maximum take up of the vaccine. Because that's kind of what happened in Israel where they had the green passes and it was, you know, it looked like there were basically going to segregate the country based on, you know, jabbed and not jabbed, but then they just reversed it because they reached the required uptake. Well, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I think by most accounts, we will have reached the required uptake regardless. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the science is in regards to uh, booster jabs and uh, whatnot. I mean, I, well, I guess if, if uh, I mean, uh, as far as we know right now, it's only being reported uh, in the Daily Mail. Um, I, yeah, I mean, well, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see what we'll see what the science is when when and if it happens. I mean, if 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 if, I, if they if you know if I don't think it's necessarily extraordinary that will that there will be a, you know available and encouraged uh, jabs for the particularly elderly after you know the initial ones. I mean, that's what we do for the flu every year. Um, so I don't I don't think there's anything extraordinary about that. And yeah, and and if we are going to treat this virus like it is the flu, then that 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 sort of you know, that's somewhat logical. But um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, although with with most things to do with the government's response to this virus, it, my natural response is sort of a generally creeping dread. So um, so, mm. so so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, with regards to travel, I mean, I don't again, I like there's no evidence to believe that there'll be any internal restrictions based on vaccine take up. I, by all accounts, it won't even be necessary. Yeah, when it comes to when it comes to foreign travel, I mean, I think I might have said this last time, but um, you know, it's not really the purview of the UK government. Really, it's uh, it's the purview of whichever government uh, you know w- wants to have us or not. Um, I, I think I think right now, I think I, I could be wrong on this. Um, I think right now, the reason why a lot of countries in Europe are introducing extra restrictions for British travelers um, is you know, even even though we have quite a significant vaccine take up, we do also have, I think, by a significant margin, the, la- the largest amount of uh, cases in Europe. So, I mean, I suppose it kind of makes sense that countries that don't have 
quite the same vaccine take up as us are you know hesitant about um, you know letting in travel from a from a country that is that you know where it's much more widespread. I mean, I I, su I suppose that makes sense uh, from basic pandemic you know prevention. Um, that, that'll probably change when you know if and when cases in England go down and and uh, when those countries' vaccine takes ups in increase. Um, Yes, well, again, it's it's it, as everything with this uh, this this nightmarish year or so, it's uh, it it could change on a dime. So I mean, we could we could be back here next week discussing something completely different that's happened in the next week. It's so impossible to predict. But uh, and on I, that, I will I, I will say I will say one thing, um, and I I think this is a good thing to measure because it's I think it's a a good example of how, why you know how the vaccines are working and working very well. Um, which is that I, lo I, lo I looked at the uh, COVID cases in the UK the uh, yesterday, and um, um, currently our current caseload is about where it was in April, in mid-April of last year. So at the height of the, the original lockdown. Um, now, at the height of the original lockdown, about a thousand people were dying every day from COVID. Um, right now, that number is about 20. Hmm. So, it, it, you know, it shows that we are well on our way to beating this, I think, yeah. uh, you know, we're through through the vaccines and, that, you know. Right, so, yeah, yeah. We, we, we're, cases aren't corresponding yeah. with deaths with, yeah. with as they once were. Yeah. The, the um, I mean, another example of this is our cases right now are, I think, at least five times as high as they are in Germany. And more people are dying in Germany every day from COVID than in the UK because they have a much lower vaccine take up. So, yeah. Um, Yes, well, I mean it's very clear that you know this is our our way out of the pandemic, and you know we should be probably pleased about that. Well, on 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 that note, I think we'll uh, leave it again for for, for another week. Um, we'll uh, be back next week, hopefully with Michael at the helm, because um, it's not my favorite job is hosting this. Uh, thank you very much to Luke Perry and Status Peter for uh, joining me. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers. <laughs>